massive reshuffle at Alpine, rain in Spa and a sprint weekend. This week I'm talking all about the Belgian Grand Prix. So get ready, because you've been summoned to the steward's office. Hello everyone and welcome back to the steward's office. I'm Syrah and this week I'm talking about the Belgian Grand Prix. There was a lot of stuff going on in and around the race weekend in what was the last race before summer break, so let's dive right into it. So we had one or two pieces of news coming out before we even hit the track for FP1. Now the first piece of news that I heard of was the fact that Max Verstappen would be taking a 5 place grid penalty for going over his allocation of gearboxes. I can't lie though. I don't think any Red Bull fans or any Max Verstappen fans were particularly worried about this five-place grid penalty. It wasn't going to make a whole load of difference to him other than the fact that he was going to have to do a couple of overtakes at the start of the race on Sunday. The other piece of news that came out was the fact that Lauren Mackies, who works in Ferrari, would be leaving the team after Spa. We already know that he's going to be joining AlphaTauri as their new team principal in 2024, so he is now on gardening leave and will not be on the Ferrari pit wall for any of the other races for the rest of the season. Normally, gardening leave for senior members of an F1 team tends to be 12 months, but I think Ferrari have allowed him six months of gardening leave so that he can join as team principal of AlphaTauri in the new year, in the new season. And then there was a little bit of news that came out during and after FP1. And this was the biggest news of the entire race weekend by far. We found out that Otmar Zafnauer would be leaving his role as team principal of the Alpine F1 team. Initially, reports of Otmar leaving Alpine slash being fired from Alpine had come out during FP1 via the F1 French broadcaster, which I believe is Canal Plus. Now, other French media outlets had also picked up on the story, but I hadn't heard anything. Sky Sports F1 hadn't said anything, and I was just seeing the odd post on social media about it. And then pretty quickly after FP1 had finished, we had had news from F1 on their website, on their app, on their social media, that yes, Otmar Zafnauer would be leaving Alpine straight after the Belgian Grand Prix race weekend. So essentially, it was effective immediately. Alpine are a team that have had a tough couple of years and most definitely a tough season so far. They have a 100 race plan. Within 100 races, they want to be fighting for championships. They're reaching about the halfway mark for that 100 race plan. I think they hit like 42 or 43 races in April. So they're around halfway. And let's be honest, they don't look like a team that are ready to start fighting for a championship within 50 races. And I know that things can change really, really quickly in F1, don't get me wrong, look at the steps that McLaren took, but I think the firing of Otmar Zafnauer is a clear sign that they do not think that they're on track to be fighting for championships in about 50 races' time. Otmar Zafnauer was not the only high-profile sacking that Alpine announced this weekend. Alan Pimain, who is the sporting director for Alpine and has been in the team with Enstone for goodness knows how many years now. I think he joined in 1989. He was also announced to be leaving the team the same time as Otmar. 
We also had the news that same day that Pat Fry would be leaving Alpine as their chief technical officer, a role that he only took on in 2022, to go and join Williams Racing as their new chief technical officer. For Williams, this is amazing. Pat Fry comes with so, so much experience and Williams have not had a chief technical officer in place since the beginning of the season. So a massive signing for them that I'm sure they're very, very chuffed about, but another loss in the Alpine team. On top of all that, though, on the 20th of July, we found out that Laurent Rossi, who was the CEO of Alpine, would be stepping down from that role and moving into a different role within Alpine. So that is four high-ranking members of the Alpine team that have moved on in their place within the team or have left Alpine completely. And I don't think that this is a good sign for Alpine. I don't think anyone is looking at this like it is a good sign. It feels like Alpine right now are grasping at straws to try and find something that's going to work for them. In terms of the sporting director and their team principal, they've got interim staff in those places right now. So they don't have a steady team principal in place for the rest of the season. Rumours have it that Mattia Bonotto is potentially being lined up to take the team principal role at Alpine. Now, these are just rumours, and if he was to take on the role, he would have to wait until the start of the 2024 season because he is on 12 months of gardening leave after leaving his role at Ferrari. Now, I can't lie, I feel like the writing has been on the wall for Otmar Zafnauer for a little while now. There's been a lot of discontent coming from the heads of Alpine, namely Laurent Rossi. He was very, very vocal at the beginning of the season. He called the team amateurish. He wasn't happy with the way they were progressing between the pit stops, the penalties, the strategy. He was not a happy man. And there have been grumblings going on about Alpine and their progress or lack of that they've made this season. So this doesn't come as a massive surprise to me. What has come as a surprise to me, though, was the fact that, one, this was announced in the middle of a race weekend. I mean, it came after FP1. And two, that this happened in the middle of the season. I would have expected an announcement like this to happen during summer break. It feels odd to me that you would announce something like this during a race weekend right in the middle after FP1 when you've got a sprint race and a Grand Prix that your drivers and your entire team are needing to focus on. So that was a little bit strange and I don't know whether it was because news was leaked. I don't know whether Alpine had actually told Canal Plus that Otmar would be leaving or whether they had found out through their sources and then... Alpine needed to make that announcement when they were planning on making it during the summer break. And then the fact that they were so willing to drop him in the middle of the season. Like I said, I do think this is a big signal that Alpine have a lot of discontent in how their season is progressing, how the last couple of years have gone for them, and is almost a sign of desperation to try and get things right as soon as they can. So they're sort of pulling the trigger in the middle of the season, hoping that it will work. Whether or not it will... I don't know. I've said before in previous episodes, right now Alpine just seem to be really inconsistent. That seems to be one of their biggest problems. They have a race car that sometimes can perform really, really well. I mean, Esteban Ocon's P3 in Monaco was a perfect example of that. And then there are races where it all just falls apart from them. Hungary, Silverstone, double DNFs, no points coming home for the team. There is so, so much inconsistency there. And now what we're seeing is there's inconsistency with their staff because there's going to be 
this turnover of people in the middle of the season, inconsistency and uncertainty for the rest of their staff and their drivers. So I think we are going to have to wait and see if this works. I personally don't think this is going to be a quick fix for the Endstone team. I don't really know what's going on with the inner workings of Alpine right now. We can only kind of tell from what we've seen on the outside and what we see on race weekends. But I don't think this is going to be as straightforward as changing their team principle and then hoping for the best. We'll wait and see, though. I think the biggest question for me in the immediate future is who's going to be their team principal in the long term. If not Matteo Bonotto, then who is going to want to take on that role right now? It seems to be quite a big task to take on. And Alpine have very big hopes over the next 50 races to get into a championship fight. So there's going to be a lot of pressure on. They've also got this massive amount of investment from a lot of people and a lot of companies coming into them now. Hopefully that investment will help them, but there also might be added pressure because of that investment. So I guess we're going to have to wait and see how this plays out for them. But yes, we will not be seeing Otmar Zafnauer on the pit wall for Alpine when we come back from summer break. I think that just about covers all the really big news that we had coming out of this race weekend. So let's get into when the cars actually got on track. Now, this was a sprint race weekend, as I've mentioned. So drivers only had free practice one to sort their cars out and get a really good feel for the track before they had to hit the track for qualifying and for actual racing. FP1 was wet. It was raining. It wasn't great. And normally when we have a wet FP1, we might see drivers holding back a little bit. Teams not wanting to risk getting the car out straight away in case it gets damaged. But considering we only had FP1 to figure out setups and balance, we saw cars very eager to go out. Maybe it wasn't that the drivers were eager, but they didn't really have a choice. They were going to have to go out and get the running done. We did get a red flag about halfway through, though. Logan Sargent just struggled to turn his car at one point and then went into a barrier. Wasn't a whole lot of damage, but wasn't able to then carry on. Looked like it could be a brick-by-wire issue, so not because of the rain or anything like that, but was a bit gutting for him. But that was the only major thing, I think, that happened in FP1. Other than that, I think drivers were just getting on with their race plans, not trying to take too many risks because qualifying was also going to be later on in the day, so it was going to be very, very tight to get that turnaround in and repair a car if anything were to happen. We then got into qualifying later on in the day, we saw a 10 minute delay as we waited for the track just to drain out. The rain had gotten very, very heavy in between FP1 and Q1. So they were just waiting for some of that standing water to be drained away. Logan Sargent ended up being in the pits for quite a while in Q1. His car was getting repaired and it didn't look like it was going to be done anytime soon. So he spent a fair bit of time just in the garage. He needed his gearbox changing, which wasn't going to be a quick fix. He was lucky that he did manage to get out on track in time just to be able to take part in Q1, though. In general, like FP1, Q1 was a fairly normal session, nothing too major going on. Lando just seemed to be struggling, though. He's a driver that says he likes wet track conditions. They're some of his favourite to drive on. But he did have a little bit of a moment off track. And I say it was a little bit, but 
he had gone through the gravel quite badly and it wasn't nice to see. He said after qualifying that it had damaged his floor. So it was quite a moment off track. And I think that just hampered his performance throughout qualifying. He did make it through Q1 though. He managed to set a time quick enough, but I think he just wasn't able to extract full performance after his floor got damaged. Hulkenberg didn't end up getting through in Q1, which is quite surprising because even when that Haas is at a circuit that doesn't suit it, Hulkenberg tends to extract a lot out of it during Q1. But he was facing a hydraulics issue at the end of quali and just wasn't able to set a lap time good enough. Ricardo then had a lap time deleted that ended up causing him to be knocked out of Q1, but Yuki Tsunoda in the other AlphaTauri was in ninth. So there was some pace in that AlphaTauri this weekend. Sargent, like I said, did get out onto the track, but also got knocked out. The other Williams of Alex Alban got knocked out as well. So not a great weekend in quality for the Williams. And the other driver was Zhou Guan Yu. By the time we got to Q2, the track was slowly drying, but it still wasn't dry enough for slicks. We did get a bit of an incident in Q2, though. Esteban Ocon went on into a barrier. He did manage to carry on, but got knocked out and just couldn't carry on in quality when he got back into the pits. The track itself continued to ramp up the drier and drier it got. We saw the time slowly start to tumble down. Oscar Piastri had an absolute blinder in Q2 and topped the timesheets, which is amazing to see from a rookie. He's got a really good handle on Matt McLaren. He hasn't raced in Belgium since 2020, I think, and that was when he was in F3. So it's been a little while, and he obviously got to grips with the car and the track very, very quickly. Max Verstappen, though, was in P10, so he was the driver at risk in Q2, which was a shocking place to see that Red Bull and that driver in. By the sounds of it, I don't think Max was too happy with the way his run plan was going for quality. I don't know whether he wanted to do the two slow down laps and then a fast lap or two fast laps and then a slow. There was something to do with tyre prep that he wasn't happy with, basically. He did end up through, though, and he was, I think, eight tenths quicker than Yuki Tsunoda in P11. So he wasn't massively at risk, but you could tell he was not happy to be in P10. By the time we got to Q3, Max Verstappen was obviously doing tyre prep that made him a lot happier in the car. He went to the top of the timesheets very, very nicely and took pole position. Charles Leclerc then inherited that pole position, though, as he got P2 and Max would be taking that grid place penalty. Saturday then came around and it was sprint day, so we had sprint quality and then the actual sprint race. And the weather was awful. I felt so, so bad for all of the fans that were in the grandstands, didn't have any covers over them. They were probably very soggy by the end of this weekend, or definitely at least the end of Saturday. We had the sprint shootout delayed by around 35 minutes, I think, because of the amount of rain and then waiting for the track to drain out a little bit. But then they finally managed to get underway. Lando Norris still seemed to be struggling in his McLaren, and that was more than likely because of the damage that he had had to his floor. I know they were trying to repair bits and bobs with it, but it's still not going to work exactly the same way an undamaged floor is going to. Nico Hulkenberg, though, and just Haas in general, had a nightmare of an SQ1. Neither of the Haases had managed to make it out of SQ1, but Nico Hulkenberg didn't even manage to set a time in SQ1. His fast lap was left a little bit too late and he didn't manage to cross the line in time to start it and have it count. 
What we later found out was that Haas went through two pit stops and three sets of intermediate tyres for both of their drivers, I think. And that led to their head engineer having to come and apologise to both of their drivers for making the wrong call. So a massive, massive strategy blunder from Haas. I don't know what they were thinking. In SQ2, everything was fine up until the last two minutes when Lance Stroll went to pit and Aston Martin put him on a set of medium tyres. Now, I thought it was way too early for the slick tyres anyway, but definitely not time to put medium tyres on. When he was on his outlap on those tyres, he'd got on the radio and said it was way too early, they shouldn't have done this. He started his fast lap because his race engineer was like, look, we can't do anything, you're in the elimination zone anyway, you're gonna just have to try. And he ended up crashing his car in the last 30 seconds of SQ2 and brought an early end to proceedings. There were a couple of drivers at this point that hadn't set a time. People like Williams were waiting to see if the track would dry out a little bit. So they were waiting until the end of the session to set a time when they knew the track would be drier and they would have a quicker time. But it did end up meaning that people like Alex Albon, Lance's teammate Fernando Alonso and Lance himself did not get through SQ2. And I did have to sit there thinking what the heck Aston Martin were doing with their strategy. Why in the world? Would they put Lance Stroll on mediums? If you were going to put him on slick tyres, why were you putting him on the mediums? But we later found out this was not down to Aston Martin at all. Even though I do think they should have left him on the intermediate tyres, the choice to go on the mediums for their slick tyres wasn't their fault. Race Control had never actually said that SQ2 was a wet session. Because they hadn't declared it as a wet session, the teams had to use the mandatory tyre compounds that are used in sprint quality. If race control had said that this was a wet session, then it wouldn't have mattered what dry tyres the drivers decided to use. They could have used the softs with no problem. I have no clue why race control opted not to say this was a wet session. By the time we got to SQ3, though, the track had dried and everyone had opted to go on the soft tyres for this last run. There were some very, very fine margins between Max Verstappen and Oscar Piastri. Verstappen took pole position, which wasn't a surprise, but Oscar Piastri was starting alongside him in his first ever front row in Formula One. Absolutely phenomenal. He'd been driving really well throughout the entire weekend anyway, so it was definitely, definitely well deserved. Everything else in SQ3 was relatively straightforward, but the Mercedes. Lewis and George seemed to be tripping over themselves during those last couple of sessions when they were getting their last fast lap in. Both of their drivers thought they were going to run out of time to make that fast lap and to get to the checkered flag, but Mercedes hadn't communicated with them well enough to tell them that there was enough time they didn't need to be tripping over themselves. So both of them ended up, I think, Lewis in P7 and George in P10. George in general seemed to be struggling this weekend from what we had seen so far in the wet conditions. Lewis seemed to have quite a strong car though and was very confident with his low downforce rear wing, with the setup of his car and he himself said he thought he could have made it into the front row, if not second row, definitely not P7, he would have done better than that. This is a problem that Mercedes had in Hungary as well, though, with George and just not giving him enough time, putting him out in traffic. Their communication strategy when it comes to quality needs to be tightened up a little bit because 
they aren't helping their drivers. They are making race days and sprint races a lot hard for them when they're not communicating or really thinking through their strategy. Then we got into the actual sprint race and this was fairly delayed. Now I'm pretty sure the sprint race was meant to start at 3 and we ended up starting at 4.35 in Britain. There was just an insane amount of water that was on the track since it had started raining while the drivers were on the grid. So we had a rolling start behind the safety car so all of the drivers were on extreme wets. I think we did about four laps under the safety car so the sprint race became 11 racing laps instead of 15. As soon as the safety car went in though we had about half of the cars go into the pits including Sainz, Hamilton, Piastri and Perez immediately opting to bolt onto the intermediate tyres. We'd heard while they were following the safety car a lot of the drivers saying look time to put on the intermediates we need to box when the safety car goes in for them because the wet tyres are going to be useless now. Everyone else pretty much pitted on the second lap. It seemed like half of the teammates had basically gone in the first lap and the second half of the teammates went in on the second as not to cause a massive amount of issues with double stacking cars in the pit lane. By the time we got to lap four, Fernando Alonso had crashed and caused another safety car to come out. He was battling, I think, with Nico Hulkenberg. Tyre went over a bit of a curb and he just lost control. I think it was still too slippery on the curbs and the white lines lost control of the car and went into a barrier. Thankfully, he was okay, but it was also his birthday and I am 100% sure that is not the way Fernando Alonso wanted to spend his birthday. So that had the safety car come out, didn't take long to clear up and we went racing again. And at that point, Sergio Perez and Lewis Hamilton ended up having some contact. And initially, it looked like there was damage to the Mercedes car. But we saw Perez slowly dropping back, getting passed by Carlos, getting passed by Charles. We had a radio message where Sergio was saying that there was no rear grip in his car. He went off into the gravel and eventually Red Bull called him into the pits on lap eight, saying that they were going to have to retire the car. And we saw basically there was a puncture in his side pod. So that was what was causing him to slow down so much. He was losing so much of his aero by having that hole in the side pod. So they pitted him and retired him from the race. Lewis did get a five second time penalty for causing a collision because of that incident. I don't know whether he deserved the penalty for it because on top of the five second time penalty, he also got two points on his super license. I would have chalked it down to a racing incident. It definitely wasn't done on purpose. The conditions out in Spa weren't the greatest. The track was still quite slippery, but... The stewards had opted to give him a five-second time penalty. Post-sprint, though, we also had Kevin Magnussen getting a three-place grid penalty for the race on Sunday for impeding Charles Leclerc. Now, I don't think I remember seeing anything, so I'm not sure entirely what happened there. But yeah, he got a three-place grid penalty. Max Verstappen ended up winning the sprint race. No surprise there. Oscar Piastri came in P2, which was absolutely phenomenal for him. He had a very level-headed sprint race. And then, to my surprise, Pierre Gasly took P3. I have no clue what Alpine were doing during the sprint race and where the race pace came from. I mean, he was able to hold back Lewis Hamilton and the Mercedes, but a really, really good show from Pierre Gasly. And I'm sure that really lifted the team morale, especially after everything going on with their personnel. Sunday then came around and Nico Hulkenberg had so much changed on his car before the race. 
But all of this was during park for me. They did not get permission from the FAA technical delegate. So he was going to be starting from the pit lane. I do get what Haas are doing here. He was starting in 20th anyway. So that penalty starting from the pit lane would be tiny. It wasn't going to be like a weekend where he's managed to qualify in the top 10. So you may as well get everything changed and sorted out now before summer break. But on his reconnaissance lap, as he was going around the circuit, he complained that there was smoke coming out from the engine and there wasn't enough power either. When he got back into the pits, we found out it was just an ignition issue for him, so it wasn't a problem. He was able to start the race, but there was a lot going on with Nico Hulkenberg pre-race. When we finally started, though, we got dry conditions, which was wonderful. Loved that. It was the first time this weekend that we've had them. But Carlos Sainz locked up at turn one. We had him, Hamilton and Piastri basically all going side by side into turn one because of that. Carlos was keeping an eye on what Lewis was doing and Piastri was coming around the side of him in through the corner. Carlos didn't see him. They both ended up making contact. Oscar made contact with the wall and damaged his front wing. Carlos then also had damage to his Ferrari, which we later saw as a hole in his side pod. And it wasn't long before Oscar Piastri ended up having to retire and stopped on the side of the track because of that damage. So that was the first DNF of the race, which was gutting for Oscar Piastri, who was having an absolutely stellar race weekend, probably his strongest one since joining F1 this year. So really, really gutting to see that McLaren out of the fight so quickly. Carlos was on the radio to say that he had damage. Ferrari had said, yeah, we can see it. It's about 5% of your aero balance, which is massive. And you could see he was struggling. He was just getting eaten up by the field so, so quickly. Very similar to what happened to Chaco Perez in the sprint race. Looking at the other McLaren, though, they just weren't having a good day, guys. Sunday was not a good day for them because Lando's pace was not great. He was struggling. McLaren were asking him about tyre wear. They were saying they were going to try and sort things on their end. There was just a bit of a mess. He had started on the medium tyres. And then I think he was one of the first people to pit. Considering that most of the field had started on softs, that was quite surprising. And McLaren opted to put him on the hard tyres. And then by lap 18, they pitted him for the second time to go on soft tyres. I think they realised that the pace on the hard tyres, he wasn't getting anywhere with them. It wasn't a good race tyre, really. So there was no point keeping him on it and just prolonging the pain that he was feeling on track. A lot of the commentators had said that McLaren had set up their car more for wet conditions than they had dry. And I can understand that, right? We'd had a mainly wet race weekend. But what I couldn't understand is that a lot of the teams had had to find that balance between wet and dry because the forecast had said the entire weekend, Sunday was going to be relatively dry. There might be a little bit of rain, but nowhere near the way that Friday and Saturday had been. And a lot of the teams had gotten that balance around about right. Red Bull had, Mercedes, Ferrari, Aston Martin, pretty much all the teams that had a fairly good balance between wet and dry. Nobody was having this absolute drastic change in race pace between wet and dry conditions the way that McLaren did. I mean, Lando had said in his post-race interview that he couldn't even get eighth gear when he was on the straights because they were that slow. They were just losing so much time with their straight line speed. He'd said that he'd made no overtakes on the straights. Any overtakes he had made were during the corners, but he was a car like signs when he was running. That was getting eaten by the field. 
Lando Norris, however, did finish in P7, much to my surprise considering what his pace was, but I think their undercut had worked fairly well. He'd managed to hang on to a couple of places and still get some points home for the team. So it wasn't an altogether bad day for McLaren, but not the strength that they've had in the last couple of races, not pulling ahead and sort of needy getting there and catching the Red Bulls. Going back to Carlos Sainz though, like I mentioned, hole in his side pod, losing so, so many places because of that loss in aero balance. And I was sitting there thinking, surely Ferrari are going to pit this man and have him retire from the race. He's just losing places. He's not able to battle with anyone on track. So what's the point? On lap eight, though, they finally pitted Carlos Sainz. And I was thinking, right, yes, he's going to retire. No, he was not. Ferrari bolted on a brand new set of medium tyres and sent him right on his way back onto the circuit. And I'm still trying to figure out why they opted to do that. Like I said, he wasn't making massive inroads. I don't think a new set of tyres was going to make up for the fact that he had a hole in his side pod. But what do I know? You're not going to get the best amount of data from it. I don't know how helpful data is when you've lost 5% of your arrow balance and you've got a hole in your side pod. Maybe there was something they wanted to test and try out, but yeah. I'm not sure why they had him running for that long, but he was our second DNF off the race. Looking at the other side of the Ferrari garage, Charles Leclerc had a very, very good race and finished on the podium. That Ferrari, I think when they can find the right working window for it and the right setup, it can fly. The task is finding that working window and also finding the right track for it. This was the right track for that Ferrari. This was the right setup for it. And I think that's why it's a little bit gutting that Carlos Sainz had that damage and wasn't able to carry on in the race because I think Ferrari could have gotten a good solid amount of points from this race. Charles was not able to hold on to the lead of the race after about turn three, I think it was, on that opening lap, the speed of the Red Bull and Checo Paris was just way too much to defend from. And I think Charles knew his fight was not going to be with the Red Bulls this weekend. If he was going to have a battle, it would be with Lewis Hamilton, which also didn't materialise for him. But I think he knew there was no point in fighting that Red Bull. Mercedes didn't have a bad day at the office. Their drivers finished in P6 and P4. George Russell making his way up. 2p6 from p10 on the grid. Lewis just wasn't able to catch up with the Ferrari though and I have to be honest with you the front four didn't seem to have any battles going on. Bar Max when he had to make his way from p6 up into p1 all of them just had these nice gaps between them, a little bit of clear air, no DRS, no proper battles going on between them. Max, once he got to the lead, was absolutely flying and had a good gap between him and Checo Perez. Checo had a nice, decent gap, I think six or seven seconds at times between him and Charles. Charles and Lewis had about anywhere between two to four seconds between them. And then Lewis, who had Fernando Alonso behind him in P5, sometimes had an entire pit stop worth of a gap. So quiet race for Lewis I think although he did mention post-race that he was experiencing some bouncing in the car which is concerning. Lewis found it concerning said he didn't know why it was happening. Mercedes at the moment don't know why so they're gonna have to pour over that data and try and figure out what was going on there but I do find it strange because it wasn't turning up in FP1, 
sprint quality qualifying the sprint race so i wonder what happened by the time we got to the race that he was getting that bounce in after the incident that he had with checo paris in the sprint though he had said there was some damage to the floor so potentially might be from that for all we know but something they're gonna have a look at because the last thing they want in this new and improved w14 is for paul poising to return as far as i know i don't think george russell complained about it so I have a slight feeling it might be because of that damaged floor. All of that bouncing, however, did not stop Lewis Hamilton going to get the fastest lap. He pitted on lap 42-43 because he had that pit stop with the gap between him and Alonso. Stuck on some new medium tyres, which I wasn't sure he was going to get fastest lap on, but he did manage it and picked up an extra championship point. That points haul from today for him, though, has meant he is only one point away from P3 in the Drivers' Championship. There is one single point separating him and Fernando Alonso right now, and then 41 points separating him and Sergio Perez for P2. So I think it will definitely be an interesting second half of the season between Alonso and Hamilton. On the topic of Fernando Alonso, though, Aston Martin definitely had a good race day, probably one of the best they've had in a little while. Both Lance Stroll and Fernando Alonso were in the points. Definitely what they needed to make sure that Mercedes weren't running too far ahead of them in the Constructors' Championship. I know Fernando said that the car felt really, really good for him today, felt alive, he felt like he was getting really good pace out of it. Lance Stroll, I know, wasn't too happy with his pit strategy, but I think he knew that the pace was there. Had the strategy been a little bit better, he might not have ended up, I think, in P9? Esteban Ocon and Pierre Gasly in the Alpines had a very good race day. I mean, first off, they both managed to finish the race, which is better than they've managed to do in the past two races. And Esteban Ocon finished in P8, bringing some points home for Alpine. So Alpine have managed to get points out of both the sprint race and the Grand Prix this weekend, with one driver getting points in either event. Not enough to exactly close the gap between them and McLaren right now in the Constructors but hopefully something that is going to give them just some more hope and more drive going into the second half of the season. Alpha Tauri had a bit of a mixed day with their drivers. Yuki Tsunoda managed to finish in the points in P10. He had an absolutely phenomenal drive, in my opinion. Daniel Ricciardo, on the other hand, finished in P16. I know he said there was a fair bit of traffic going on around him, which made it hard to make the inroads they wanted to, on top of the fact that I know there was a lot of tyre graining for the drivers that were in traffic especially. But I think this was a fairly nice way for AlphaTauri to head into summer break now with an extra point on the board. Neither of the Alfa Romeos, the Haases or the Williams had managed to get into the points. I think I'm quite used to seeing Alex Albon in and around the points. If he's not in them, he's normally on the cusp of them, but he finished in P14. So not the best day at the office for those teams coming into summer break. I'm sure they would have appreciated just to have one or two points on the board. And then finally, we obviously have Red Bull, who finished 1-2 on the podium for the Belgian Grand Prix. Max Verstappen had an absolutely dominant display, no doubt about it. The only thing I would say, though, is that I am surprised at how long it took him to get into P1. In all honesty, I was expecting by lap four, say, for him to get into the lead, and if not by lap four, definitely into the single digits of the laps. No more than lap 10 would he be in the lead of the race. But it took him until about lap 17 to get past Perez and then take the lead. I don't know whether he was nursing his tyres a little bit because there was that tyre graining issue. 
and he didn't want to eat them up super quickly, then have to make a stop before he got into the lead. But it did take him a little bit of time. Not that it mattered, because the minute he got into the lead, he was just flying away. He finished 22 seconds ahead of his teammate. Absolute dominance from him, as is expected at this point. I don't think anyone would be surprised at that. But a good day at the office for him. Sergio Perez finishing in P2. What Red Bull are expecting of him right now. What I think is going to be the main thing for him to work on is shortening that gap between him and Max Verstappen. To have your teammate finish 22 seconds ahead of you in a race, it's got to be a little bit disheartening. Like, I'm sure that P2 is welcome. Don't get me wrong. He's not had some great races in the past. Uh, so I'm sure being on that podium with Max is definitely a really, really good feeling. And it's his second P2 now in a row. But surely you want to be a little bit closer to your teammate than 22 seconds behind. Surely you want to cut that gap down. So I think for him, the focus is going to be on keeping that sort of level of performance going into the second half of the season now. And then also cutting down that time slowly and chipping away at it. And hopefully if he can keep his level of performance and get P2 consistently, his confidence will build back up with the car and we will see that gap shortening. Overall, this had to be a bit more of an exciting race in Hungary for me. I think there was a little bit more on-track action. We saw a lot more overtakes happening. In terms of people being in the points, I genuinely think it could have been any of the teams. And I am very glad this was a more exciting race than Hungary because unlike at the Hungarian Grand Prix, I have been able to choose a driver of the day. At the Belgian Grand Prix, the fans picked Max Verstappen as their driver of the day. I'm not entirely surprised at that. He worked from P6 up to P1 and it's kind of a home race for him. But my driver of the day is going to Yuki Tsunoda. P10 might not be a lot to yell home about for a lot of the drivers, but... My hat's off to Yuki Tsunoda, who just seemed to have amazing pace in that AlphaTauri this weekend. He was fighting up in P6 at some points, and I know strategy does play into that when you pit, but just had a very good, clean race, really brought that AlphaTauri to life, and managed to get a point home for the AlphaTauri team. We all know that AlphaTauri is not easy to drive. They've made no light of the fact that it is a difficult car. I think even Helmut Marko has said that it's just not a good car. It is not a good F1 car. So for Yuki Tsunoda to have gotten into the points, gotten into P10, is a really, really good result. Honestly, I'm impressed by his driving. And yes, he is my driver of the day. And that was the Belgian Grand Prix and the end of this half of the season. Like I said, the front four of the race didn't really have any battles going on, so those were pretty locked in very early on. But I think the rest of the points were anyone's to take, and it did fall down to some good strategy and good driving, just looking after the tyres from the drivers. F1 is on summer break now until the end of August, where we head out to the Dutch Grand Prix at Zandvoort. But that does not mean that I will be going away. I have episodes planned ready for summer break. We will be doing a season review. I will be looking at what our predictions were for this season and seeing how far off we are from them at the moment. And I'll also be looking at some teammate head-to-head battles and how those are going with each of the teams. So even though there is no F1 on your screens, you will still get your fill of F1 from me. 
Thank you guys so, so much for listening and you can find me on Instagram and TikTok at stewards underscore office where I post a load of F1 content and F1 news and I will see you guys the next time you're summoned to the stewards office.